One of my desires as a pastor is that each and every one of us would walk in God's power and plan for your life right now. God doesn't live in time and space. God is eternal. Everything in God's world is now. He doesn't have yesterday. He doesn't have tomorrow. He only has now. He sees everything. He's the beginning and the end. What does that look like in our life? This is the Now Principle with Pastor Chris Gleason, lead pastor of Revolution, a four-square church that meets in Harvard Square, Cambridge, Mass. Join us today as we step into the Now Principle with Pastor Chris, where we ask the question, what will you let God do right now? Well, we have been walking and talking through the now principle. If you've not been with us, um, I'm not going to go into the whole principle. Uh, You can go on to the website and listen to some of the previous sermons to share more. But last week, I began talking about that now is the time to walk in your calling. And the whole idea of the now principle is that God lives in the now and he wants us to embrace what he desires to do in and through our lives now. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, not someday. Because oftentimes, in America anyway, we can live in this idea that I'll get around to it someday. I'll, uh, you know, I'll, even when I've talked to people over the years about faith and following Jesus and allowing Jesus to come into your life, well, I'll do that someday. You know, when I, that there's this assumption that that I will live a certain amount of years on this earth. And we all know that there are no guarantees. And so God wants us to embrace the things that he desires to do today. Many times we don't because we sell ourselves short and we sell God short. And at the end of the day, it's really about him, what he's capable of doing, not what we're capable of doing. Because I, I come to the end of myself all the time. But thank the Lord that he picks up wherever I leave off, where I can't, where it says through our weakness He'll be made strong. So last week we talked about our calling. I'm going to reread just two verses I started out last week, briefly talk about where we went, and then step into uh, the rest of the message that we didn't get to. If you have a Bible, you can take it and pick it up. If you don't, you can pick one up off the floor there. And turn with me to Ephesians. And we're going to look in Ephesians 4, and then we're also going to look in Colossians chapter 1. So Ephesians chapter 4, the first three verses that talks about this. These were, as I was praying a couple of weeks ago, and it really felt like God just put these in my spirit. They're verses I'm familiar with, but to encourage us and to challenge us. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1 through verse 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then turn over to Colossians, a couple of epistles over, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Colossians 1, verse 9. If if any of you ever struggle with Paul's, you know, there's four epistles that are called the Pauline epistles, and the order, there's a couple of ways. One is you can remember General Electric Power Company, that's the order, or uh, what was the other one? God eats popcorn. Okay, I really don't think God does, but hey, if it helps you, <laughs> if it helps you remember, <laughs> does he like Orville Redenbacher or what does he like? So Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. 
For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now I started out last week saying I was going to ask or pose three questions. We really only got to the first question. I posed the second question, but we'll talk more about it today. I'm going to real quickly just review. The first question was, do you have a calling? Because, you know, we just read where Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling that you've been given. So I'm sure some of us are sitting there and going, I asked this question last week, how many of you know or believe that you have a calling? And I'm not going to ask you again, but many in the room raised their hands. There's others that didn't, which would mean that you're maybe not sure. And so it's a very obvious question. Bless you. Do you have a calling? Again, I'm not going to reiterate all the scripture. I went through a lot of scripture last week because there is a lot of scripture in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that, believe me, confirms that, yes, you do have a calling. I'm going to only read a couple, and then I hope that you will actually go and you know do some research, get into the Word on your own, even listen to last week's sermon, and I'll give you a lot of scriptures to look at. But one is Romans 8, 28 to 31. Most of us have heard or even know by memory Romans 8.28. That we know that all things God and God works together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. We know that. But we don't always know the other verses that follow it. Verses 29 to 31. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those He predestined, He also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? That you have been called. Not some of us, all of us. Understand that some people get into this and they go, well, are, are you? how do you know? I mean, maybe there's only some people that, that he predestined. If you're sitting in this room and you have given your life to Christ, guess what? You are called. It's like, you know, the old thing uh, used to say for the military is Uncle Sam, you know, wants you. Well, God wants you and he chooses you. And then I read 1 Peter chapter 2. I love this section of scripture because it talks about who we are. In verse 9 of 1 Peter 2, it says, but you are a chosen people. There was a lot of my life. Some of you have heard this. I was not someone who ever got chosen. In playing any game, I was the last one always picked. Sometimes I didn't even get picked. When I played basketball in high school, I sat the bench. And, and so for many years of my life, I wasn't the one that was chosen. So I'd read this and I'd go, okay, everybody else gets chosen. What about me? But I came to understand it didn't matter what people did, that according to God, we are a chosen people. God chooses you. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you're the people of God. 
Once you'd not received mercy, now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. You have been chosen. You, it says that we are to be holy as God is holy. Holy means set apart. That we have been set apart for His purposes. Understand, it's kind of like maybe in your mom's house you had the really nice china or the really nice silverware. You didn't get to use that every day. In fact, when you came home, you know, to grab a snack from school, you did not go into the china closet and grab one of those plates. If you did, you'd get the wrath of mom. Because that was set apart for a specific purpose, a specific time. Understand that in Christ, you have been called and set apart for His purposes. You're no longer just here on this earth to take up some space, breathe a little air, live a little bit of a life, and then pass away. You have a purpose. The last verse I'm going to read in talking about this section right here is Psalm 139. Verse 13, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So the question for me is not whether or not you have been called, but whether or not we will accept the call. Because over and over again in Scripture, it says you have been chosen, you have been called, you have been set apart. We looked at the story of Samuel, whose mother Hannah was barren. She couldn't have children. And she went into the temple year after year praying and asking God to open her womb. And finally he did. And she says, God, if you give me a child, I'll dedicate him to you from the time he's a child. And that's exactly what happened. And we talked about the story where Samuel was hearing the voice of God. The voice of God was saying, Samuel, Samuel. And he thought it was the old high priest Eli calling him. So he'd get up and he'd run to him and say, what did you want? He said, I didn't call you. This happened three times. And finally, the prophet says, God is calling you. And it tells us in in 1 Samuel 3, verse 10, the Lord came again and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. And talked about how that needs to be our posture. Is that when we come to the Lord, when He begins to speak through His Word, when He begins to speak to us through the things in life, when we're in prayer and God begins to speak to us, that we stop and say, Lord, your servant is listening. We talked about Samuel. It says that he was in the presence of God. He was in the temple, lying down in the presence of God. There's something significant about that. That we would spend time in the presence of God. That can happen in many ways. It could happen just being in your room, in your car. Maybe in a time of silence. Which I don't know about you, but that doesn't happen a lot in my life. I have to, sometimes I get in my car and I just turn the stereo off. And just have it be quiet. And that seems like such an odd thing. It's like, quiet? Maybe it's putting on worship music. Maybe it's looking and listening to the Word of God. Being in the presence of God. Before I get to question two, I'm just going to reiterate something. We looked in Joshua. 
Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4, where God has told Joshua that he's going to lead the children of Israel. After them wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness, he's going to lead them into the promised land. And he tells them that here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick 12 of the priests. I want them to pick up the Ark of the Covenant. And the minute that their feet touch the edge of the Jordan River, that the water is going to stop upstream and it's going to just keep flowing downstream and you're going to walk across the Jordan River on dry ground. And we talked about how those priests did not know on that day that they were going to be chosen as the vessel of God. And let me tell you that many times in our life, we don't know when God's going to say, today's a day I need you to stand up. Today's a day I need you to believe that I'm God. Today's a day I need you to be my mouthpiece, to be my hands and feet. Generally, we don't know when that day shows up. Most people who are heroes, they did not know that morning when they woke up that they were going to do something heroic. I don't know if anybody ever woke up and said, you know, I think I'm going to be a hero today. Because how many of you know those just happen? You don't plan, and if you planned it, then probably it means you actually created some catastrophe. You didn't actually, you weren't a hero at all. I remember a guy who started a fire so that he could act like a fireman. You go, what a crazy mindset. Nobody sets out in their day to be a hero. We just have to say every day, Joshua, at the end of his life, he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's where we start. That's where we stand. Every day we get up and say, Lord, today's your day. What do you want to do in it? How do you want to use me? How do you want to speak to me? How do you want to work through my life today? That's part of what we're talking about in the now principle is, what does it mean now? And it says in Joshua chapter 4, verse 10, Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people. Just as Moses had directed Joshua. says the people hurried over. You know, we talked about that. How, isn't it funny? The water stops upriver, but the people are kind of going, okay, we're not sure how long it's going to stay there. So it says they hurried across. But where were the priests? It says till every person got across, they stood in the middle of the river. See, that's what it means for us to stand in the things of the Lord. Not one minute we're standing, the next minute we're not. We do it when it's easy. We don't do it when it's not. See, it's when things happen in our face. When we choose to stand when everybody else runs. Those 12 men did not know that day. We don't even know who they were. There's nowhere in Scripture it gives one of these guys names. They're the 12 anonymous priests. But what did they do? They stood in their place of calling in that moment on that day. My second question, which I posed at the end of our time last week, was will you stand in your calling? It doesn't matter whether it was Joshua who was called to lead the people in or the priests who were simply called to be part of that process. The question is the same. Will we stand in our calling? We talked last week about that, and I mentioned again, people like firemen or police officers or the military. They're trained for moments in life. 
If you go to the fire department, more times than not, you'll see the firemen just sitting around. They might be cleaning something, might be cooking, they might be sleeping. They're just doing normal stuff. But when that bell rings, they have to jump into action and they got to be out there doing their thing. They have to be ready at any moment in time. The same thing with a police officer. They don't know when they pull someone over for speeding who that person is and what might actually happen. The same thing is that's how God wants us to live. That we are ready. We're prepared to stand in every moment, whatever God brings across our path. One of my favorite stories as it relates to someone standing is one that probably all of us are familiar with at some level, and it's David. I mean, we even hear this, they use it in marketing. I, I, I've heard that on commercials, you know, we're the David against the Goliaths. And you're kind of going, okay, do you even know what that means? I mean, but everybody has some context. You know, David's the little guy, Goliath's the big guy, you know, whatever that. And so it gets into all different kinds of connotations. But in the story, David is the youngest of all of these brothers. He's the one that's been out there watching the sheep. It says that the prophet has come and anointed him as the next king. And then what does he do? He goes back out to watch the sheep. I mean, you ever thought about that? I mean, you know, here, it's a big deal. The prophet shows up. He looks at all of his older brothers. No, 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 no. Where, you got any more kids? Yeah, there's one. He's out in the fields. Okay, bring him in. God says, this is the man. He pours oil over him, anoints him as the next king. And then his dad looks at David and says, go back out in the field. I mean, how would you like that kind of promotion? You know, your, your boss calls you in. He says, man, I'm going to make you the next president of our company. Okay, now go back and pick out the trash. I mean, that's basically what happened to David. Nothing really changes in his world, but something changed in his heart. Promotion comes from the Lord. One of the things that I've found interesting over the years, I've been around for a couple of days, so I've I have a, a little bit of length of observation. Maybe I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I've lived a bit of life. And how many of you know that that kind of qualifies you for some observation? And one of the things that I've realized is most people are not faithful in small areas. Most people are not faithful in small areas, especially when nobody sees it. Jesus said this, whoever is faithful in little, I will make them faithful in much. Now we hear that. We love the idea of that. He says the the greatest will be the least. The least will be the greatest. The servant will be the greatest of all. But living that out is much more challenging. And this is exactly what happened to David. You're going to be the next king of Israel. Now go back and watch the sheep. And his brothers go off to war. Now that had to be far more glamorous. He's sitting, watching sheep, you know, throwing rocks around, playing his instrument, singing. And his brothers have gone off to war. So his dad says, hey, why don't you go and take some food to your brothers out there on the military front? He was excited. He gets to see what's going on in the action. So he does it. He gets there. He gets there right at the time. Now now picture... 
there's this valley. I was actually in Israel, and I don't know if this was the same valley, but it's called the Valley of Jezreel. And, and so imagine on one side of the valley, there's the Israelites. On the clear on the other side of the valley is the Philistines, their enemy. And he happens to get there right at the time when Goliath, their giant, comes out, which he's been doing every morning for weeks. And he challenges the Israelites. He said, who will fight me? I mean, basically, he's saying, you guys are a bunch of wimps. He says, here, I'm, I'm, I'll be the guy. You pick one man and we'll fight. And whoever wins, the other will serve the one that loses. And it says, every day he makes this threat. And every day the Israelites do the same thing. They hide. Well, David shows up right when this happens. And he's standing there and he's looking at these guys and he goes, what's the deal? Who, who is this guy? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? And then he asks a very practical question. What will the king do for the guy that takes this guy out? I mean, he's looking for some promotion here. <laughs> he's thinking, man, this has got to be a good deal. And so they tell him. He says, well, you know, he'll make him wealthy. He'll give him like whatever he wants. He'll give him his daughter in marriage. I mean, you're going to be the next prince. And then his brothers say, who do you think you are? They remind him, you know, you're the guy out there watching the sheep and the goats. Who do you think you are to come into our world and begin to make us look bad? But I love David. See, Saul hears about this because you imagine all these days, nobody's ever said anything. They all just get really quiet. You know when you're in a room and somebody says something really awkward and everybody just gets really quiet? Well, that's what happens. Every day, here comes Goliath. He makes this, you know, threat. And the whole camp just gets really quiet. It's like when you're in an auction and you're, you know, real careful you don't put your hand up or scratch your ear because you might buy something. Nobody wanted to say something because, oh, man, the king might think I'm the guy. So David's talking. So he gets back to the king. And he says, hey, bring this guy in here. And so he asked him, who are you? And this is what David says. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 34. Because basically, he, he's saying, Saul's already told him, hey, who are you? You're a boy, man. This guy's been a, a soldier since he was young. Who are you to stand against him? And this is what he says in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. I want to make this personal. What happens when you're in a classroom and your professor denigrates the name of Jesus? What happens when you're in your workplace? When a worker just downright blasphemes anything to do with God? Do we just get kind of quiet like most of all of the Israelites did? Or do we with a humble heart say, you know, hang on just a minute. You happen to be talking about my best friend. See, what would you do if someone began to badmouth your family or your friends? You probably wouldn't just sit there and say, ah, you know, 
But somehow, this world, the culture around us has said, who are we to say anything? Now, I'm not saying we do that in arrogance. I'm saying we always do it in humility. But where is the place where we say, you know what, I'm going to make a stand? I am going to be, I'm going to stand up for Jesus. Nobody else is standing up for him. I'm going to stand up for Jesus. What do we do when someone uses the Lord's name in vain? Again, if they said something in that context about your mother, your sister, we'd say something. And again, not in arrogance, not in, but, but can we say, you know, could you please not use my Lord's name in vain? You've been listening to The Now Principle with Pastor Chris Gleason, the radio ministry of Revolution Church, where we are committed to being grounded in His Word and empowered by His Spirit. We invite you to visit us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. We meet at Leslie University's Brattle Campus in the Washburn Lounge, located at 10 Phillips Place, Cambridge, Mass. If you would like prayer or more information, call 617-441-0777 or visit hearlistenobey.com. This is a listener-supported program. And if you would like to partner with us, we invite you to go to hearlistenobey.com as we stand for God's Word and God's Spirit in Harvard Square.